Hackers, viruses, malware. There must be more than 50 ways to lose your crypto. But one of the ways is when you voluntarily hand it over to criminals who are demanding a ransom. This can be the result of ransomware. What is this insidious method of extracting money from people? How did it come to be? And how are you and your data at risk? Today, we're joined by Trent Fowler, an expert in the area of ransomware. You'll want to know what it is and how you can protect yourself. It's a little dark, but as usual, we try to keep it light on episode number 618 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, Who's bad? send 10 bitcoin to the address provided in this email or we will release the pictures we have of naked travis wright do it you know what was funny was uh so when i got my my phone sim hacked back in 2017 on one of the really early episodes they were like trying to threaten me and they were like oh we're gonna release these naked pictures of these hot women you have on your phone I'm like oh no why would you do well, look at these hot women Travis has been hanging out with like oh no this is horrible this is like look at how hot and naked they are oh man poor Travis <laughs> welcome friends to the bad crypto podcast now you know how we got our name crypto's not bad but we are this is the show for the crypto curious and the crypto serious and those who prefer their blockchain and crypto info with a little bit of levity. We're coming up on five years. We're just a few weeks out from our fifth anniversary. So if you want to bake us Actually, a cake. we are two and a half weeks out pretty much. Wow. Almost. Yeah. J- July 16th and what's this 27th today. That's like less than three weeks. Oh my gosh. I need to make appointments. I need to send out invitations. Uh, I need to get a manicure. <laughs> Pedicure for me. Like I never used to like them and Aaron's got a gal who comes here and she does pedicures too. And, and she like spends a lot of time massaging and I'm like this, it's basically painful. Very relaxing. <laughs> They're my That's feet. An inside joke until just, people know. Let, let's just, yeah, so let's, <laughs> let's keep it inside and not let it outside. It'll be inside till it's outside. Until you do your comedy bit that features i know you're working on a new routine right now that's going to be very funny should be funny i don't know it's like i just having fun it's like i got i like being up on stage and cracking jokes is always made is always makes makes me uh feel good making people laugh yeah so i figure you know what sometime in 2023 going around to certain cities and doing some comedy you know what would be interesting to know is like which one of our audience members like would would come and see me come do comedy if i was in their city and so maybe that could actually help me determine which cities I go to. Oh, yeah. So send us an email, uh, badcryptopodcast at gmail.com and invite Travis. We, we would like a, um, a formal letter written inviting him to, uh, to attend a comedy stand-up microphone yeah. place in your city. That would be great. Well, I've been in the U.S. I've determined. I, I figured it out. So there's this app called Resident Tax. Uh, you probably have it, Joel. I don't know if you do or not, but uh, it's called Resident. And it actually keeps track of how many days 
that you've been in or on the island and stuff for, for tax purposes and whatnot. So I've been in Puerto Rico for 83 days so far, which is almost near the end of June. So that's going to be about half of the year I've been here. And I've been in the United States 41 days, which means you can only be in there for what, three months or something in the United States? Uh, three uh, months tops, six months, months plus tops. on the island. So just so you know, I'm at about 150 days on the island. So I'm almost there. Yeah, you're almost there. Uh, I, I, I took some time in Mexico. So I got, I got time the way I look at it. Oh, it's yeah. like, I got six months left and I just got to be here for three more months. So that's pretty good. But they say you can't be in the United States more than three months. So I might be able to go and do some comedy uh, this year a little bit. So I'm trying, I'm trying to gauge that by how many days I have on the island. Just thinking about this, I'm actually working on a comedy routine in Spanish to give in, in uh, at a comedy place here, <laughs> which I think is going to be horrible. But it will be funny for me to go up and try to do comedy in Spanish. Like the, to me, that's like seems like an additional level of challenge. So we have an interview to discuss. This is usually the banter we save for after the interview, but it's good banter. And I, and, and I think uh, I would come and see you give that in Spanish. I wouldn't know what you're saying, but just to laugh. I can figure it, it out because it's going to be simpleton Spanish. Yeah. Here's something that's not funny. Ransomware. Super not funny. And uh, but this interview with Trent Fowler is very interesting. You're going to want to listen to every last little morsel of it. So you know what to watch out for. And here we go. Mallware. No, it's not what you get at the mall so that you could wear it. Mallware is something far more insidious than that which you might pick up at Hot Topic. It is bad stuff on your computer. And mall is muy malo. It's very yeah, bad. Very bad. Of course, it's short for malicious, but also works uh, in French because mal is bad. In French, something is true. Also, Espanol there, Mr. Jolo. Oh. Probably goes back to Latin if we really wanted to get nerdy about it. I'm fairly certain yeah. we could track down the Latin. Speaking of nerds, that other voice that you hear right now would be our guest for today. His name is Trent Fowler. He's an author, data scientist, blockchain analyst, business strategist, and co-host of the Futurati podcast. He's here today to talk all about a kind of malware that's even more mall. It's called ransomware. Trent Welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast. It is an honor and a privilege to join you two fine, upstanding gentlemen on the Bad Crypto Podcast. It is both of those things, but I must comment that we are neither fine nor upstanding. We are bad Sir Lords. Okay, well, that's fine. fine. I'm so fine. (laughs) It's fine with me. I'm good with it. Uh, So, (laughs) you know, I spoke a little bit about your... um, your background, but maybe tell us a little bit more of your history and why you are so passionate about um, this topic of ransomware. Absolutely. I always begin the answer to that question by asking how far I should go back. So, you know, do you want college? Do you want the past three years? I want what's interesting. All the way back to all the way back to the womb. Well, if it's, if it's, what's interesting, I'll have to just start today. So I woke up nothing prior to my appearance on this podcast has been interesting in my life. This is your uh, high no. watermark right here, which yeah, is it's, not it's all downhill. All Wait downhill. a second. Wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. Is that a blanket of a brick wall? Is that a tapestry on your wall there that looks like a brick wall? Absolutely not. That is, that is an actual brick wall that has been painted to look as though it's a painting of a brick wall. So it's, it's uh, tricking you twice. Oh man. It's so meta. Yeah, yeah, it's a great conversation. Fool, fool, fool you once, shame on 
you fool me twice shame we won't get fooled again there you go guys there you go yeah so uh i I guess what's interesting i i went to korea in 2011 because i graduated a few months prior to that and there were no jobs in colorado so i was in korea for two years i was teaching english and i learned korean but that ultimately didn't give me the scope that i was hoping to get and i was very interested in futurist topics Um, so i came back to the states in 2013 i was a professional writer and editor doing seo stuff uh, predominantly for about five years. And during that time, I met Thomas Fry, who's my co-host for the Futurati podcast. And we started putting events together and just building a little futures community here in Colorado. In 2018, my my daughter had been born. My dad was kind of getting sick with cancer. And so I just, I needed to make some changes in my life. And I went to the Galvanized Data Science Program in Denver, Colorado and retrained as a machine learning engineer and data scientist. And in the three, three and a half, four years since, I had been a data scientist at a couple of different startups, two different crypto asset startups. And in that time have fallen in love with the blockchain and its, its promise and its perils. So through that route, I became aware of ransomware as a topic. It's something we've discussed with cybersecurity professionals and it's, it's come up on the podcast before. But yeah, it's, it's a fascinating subject and it's one that I care a lot about and it has ramifications for, for crypto, for cybersecurity and a variety of even geopolitics and national security as, as we've seen in recent months. So it's, it's really timely, really topical and I'm looking forward to talking. So a lot of people probably don't know what ransomware is. I do. I was a global digital strategist at Symantec for the Norton antivirus brand. So I'm very familiar with the peskiness that is ransomware, but maybe. Oh, you look at me! I'm Travis Wright. I know what ransomware is. I'm so smart. Well, for, when for the you plebs. actually work in the industry for a few years, you know these things. Joel's like, "What is ransomware, you guys?" And then he's like, "Edit that out. I don't want people to sound mean." Yet. Go ahead, you ask it, Travis. Even though I know what it is, well, go ahead. Give, give your definition, Mr. Trent Fowler, around ransomware and why is it so not the goods. Right, absolutely. So obviously, I don't need to inform you, Travis, uh, as an industry veteran, what this is. But for the plebs, I'll explain it. So as as Joel alluded to in the introduction, malware is essentially just any nasty thing that a person manages to sneak onto your computer. And it's a broader term than ransomware. Ransomware is a kind of malware. And the name does a good job of communicating its purpose. Ransomware is used to infect a system in order to encrypt or exfiltrate data on that system in an attempt to extort a ransom out of a, out of a person. So you would encrypt data, pictures of your grandkids, whatever, on your computer and, and charge a person X amount of X number of dollars or Bitcoin in order to get that back. And in some cases, these ransomware groups will actually do a double extortion where they will pull the data off and they'll force you to pay for it twice, once to unencrypt the data and once for them to delete their copy of it. Because in some cases, they will actually take the ransom and then release the data anyway, because it turns out cyber criminals are just not good people in general. That's so true. You know, I've, I've heard multiple places like it was a, recently it was a law firm that I'd heard where they had somebody was like, look, we got all your data. They, they had it on the cloud somehow or in a Google Drive, but they had locked it. They couldn't get to it anymore. They deleted it off of there, said we have all your files for all your cases and you got to give us something ridiculous, 10 Bitcoin or 30 Bitcoin or something stupid. And then the thing is, is that like these guys are scamming you. And so even if you decide, okay, it's worth it for me to give them this 25 Bitcoin or whatever, there's no guarantee there's going to ever even unlock the data in the first place, right? And it's like, so it's like, it's almost like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't with these kind of things. 
Absolutely. And there's the general question of whether or not you're incentivizing them to continue. I guess you have to do that calculation for yourself, whether or not the data is sensitive enough to warrant paying the ransom. But over time, ransomware groups who are made up of pretty technically savvy people realized that simply locking the data wouldn't do the job because people realized that they could back up their data and restore an infected computer by wiping it and just reinstantiating all the data. So now they exfiltrate it more often. They'll actually take it off the computer, host it somewhere that they control and only give it back if you pay the ransom and sometimes not even that. So what you're describing is it. It's not just businesses and individuals. I found this article just from last week on uh, hothardware.com. Give me your lunch money. Ransomware bullies took 3.56 billion from schools in 2021. That's amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Well, it's worth pointing out that one of the key dynamics in the development of ransomware since it first began in 1989 is that they're going after progressively larger targets. So in 1991, it was more likely that they would go after a dentist or a small business owner or just some random person, a person who they suspected had money and secrets and that they could use the secrets to separate them from their money. Over time, and especially since 2018, they've engaged in a strategy that's called big game hunting, where they are less likely to attack random targets and more likely to craft an attack specifically for an enterprise of some kind, schools, hospitals, major infrastructure projects, governments, corporations like, you know, uh, Wells Fargo, something that they suspect have quite a lot of money to be taken. And they'll extort them for sums that are more like $10 million or $50 million. So you've seen this really steep uptick, both in the size of the ransoms that are being extorted and in the size of the targets they're going after. So there's there's news that just came out this week around Conti, C-O-N-T-I, the Conti Enterprise. Apparently, they're a ransomware gang that has published data belonging to 850 different companies, and they're just nailing these different people. Conti, are you familiar with these guys? Oh, of course. Conti is one of the most virulent and professionalized ransomware operators on Earth, and they're one of their bigger targets to date is actually the Costa Rican government. And uh, I haven't seen anything published recently about this, so my, my information is probably two and a half weeks old. But last I looked into it, Conti was explicitly trying to overthrow the government of the newly elected president of Costa Rica. So as far as I know, that's the first time a group like a cyber criminal group has tried to do something like this. So you can see the trajectory and how it's growing. So as a follow-up to that, I don't know if, uh, if Conti is a thing anymore because this article from three days ago says ransomware group Conti abruptly disbands. Right. So this is another thing that you see quite a lot is these groups break apart and reform pretty dramatically and on a pretty routine basis. So Conti is one of the bigger groups. And to my knowledge, it's one of the biggest groups to have done this. But uh, Dark Side, Black Matter have done similar sorts of things. Are evil were shut down by the Russian government a, a few years back. So it's really not that uncommon for them to innovate. This is one of the things that makes them such a, a dangerous and wary foe is the fact that they adapt in this way, both in terms of tweaking their software so that you dip, get different ransomware strains, but also in, in as much as they will break apart as organizations and the different clusters will go off and form new nodes that spin up their own versions of ransomware and, and start targeting people afresh. So they're really slippery. So let's talk about the crypto audience then, you know, how vulnerable are people that are holding cryptocurrency and what can they do to protect themselves? 
Yeah, absolutely. So for the most part, the intersection of cryptocurrency and ransomware is in the extortion part of it. So they're asking to be paid in crypto because they seem to have believed that this would make them harder to track than it would be if they just got cash somehow, which has wound up kind of not being the case. And we can get into that a little bit. In, in so far as a person wants to defend themselves from ransomware and they're holding crypto, I, I would say that following basic crypto best practices, like storing things in a cold wallet, ought to immunize you from ransomware attacks, at least as far as crypto as, a, as an attack vector goes. And then more generally, you, you've just got to back up your systems, change your passwords, do all the basic cybersecurity best practices that, that uh, protect you from hackers in general. So I don't know that there's necessarily a special set of, of precautions crypto folks need to take other than you know getting it off exchanges and putting it in cold storage and that kind of thing, the things you should be doing anyway. Uh, there is a lot to be said about the intersection of the crypto ecosystem and ransomware, if, if you want to discuss that a little bit more broadly. Yes, it is. It is fascinating. And then I'm just kind of going back here. I'm still researching about the Conti uh, Armada attack Armada. Ar it's crazy what they're calling it. But um, in, in Q3 2020, this is how many different companies they literally attacked. 106, then 67, 117, 147, 78, Q4 2021, 188 companies. And in Q1, 110. And then who knows how many they've done in Q2 as we're ending Q2. And now here they are uh, disbanding and going into a new thing. It's just kind of wild to take a look at that. Now, is is um, Conti, are they normally, are they, ex, are they sort of um, going out there and, and, and trying to extort people from Bitcoin? Are they using crypto as their pay payment method? Is that what, because I know some people don't, some are using We'll try to use cash and fiat and, you know, other places to pay us money, whatever. Seems to me that crypto is a quicker solution for them. But um, is there what's going on with that? Right. So I don't exactly know when the first instance of a ransomware group requesting crypto occurred, but it has become a popular payment mechanism for them because it's it's digital. It's ostensibly rather secure. And if you are careful enough, then it's pretty hard for people to pin it to you. But Yes, cryptocurrencies have become popular for ransomware groups that are trying to extort money from their victims. And over time, ransomware groups have become wise to the fact that the distributed public ledger is public and immutable. And that record has been a boon for law enforcement agencies that are trying to track down who's doing what on the blockchain. And I mean, you, you read these famous stories all the time. For example, the, the Bitfinex hack that occurred a couple of years ago where uh, these two people extorted billions of dollars in crypto from Bitfinex, much of that has been recovered now because it, be, it became possible for people to track down those addresses, find where it was was hidden and recover a lot of that. So I think that over time, these ransomware groups, as they professionalized and become more savvy and, and have come to understand the, the pitfalls in using cryptocurrencies to commit crime, they've become savvier. And I suspect over time, number one, that trend will continue. So they'll, they'll get even better at using services like CoinJoins, Mixers, or Tumblers to hide their tracks on chain. But I have a sort of tentative prediction, which I'm not 100% confident in, but I, I think that over time, they may begin to use 
alternative cryptocurrencies like Monero or Zcash, which have much stronger default privacy guarantees built in and which use technologies like zero knowledge proofs or homomorphic encryption to make it much, much harder to determine not just who's involved in a transaction, but even the size of the transaction, where it's going, what's going on. So I, I suspect that they're going to get just even better at this as time goes on. So how did this whole ransom things, ransomware thing start? Right. So you can find... You can find ransomware-esque sorts of exploits going back quite a long way, but basically everybody charts the beginning of ransomware as a separate phenomenon to 1989. And this evolutionary biologist by the name of Joseph Pop sent out 20,000 ransomware infected floppy disks to attendees of the International AIDS Conference in Stockholm. And at the time he was asking for $189 to be sent to a PO box in Panama in, in exchange for unlocking files on, on people's computer systems. And he was arrested two weeks later, so I don't know how much money he made, but I'm guessing it's not a whole lot. And for the next 20 years or so, ransomware really didn't change all that much. In 2007, you saw the rise of what were called the locker variants. And the locker variants are ones in which ransomware will actually more or less shut down the functionality of a computer wholesale. And you won't even be able to use the keyboard or the mouse in order to do anything. And then they would ask for $300 to unlock the functionality of your system. In 2013, they leveled up again and they started using rudimentary cryptography to make it even harder to intervene in the process of extorting money from victims. So they would use public-private key pairs in their encryption when they encrypted your files. And so you had to jump through more hoops and it was much more secure for them to take money from you in that way. 2018 marked something of a turning point uh, for cryptocurrencies. It was when crypto, uh, I'm sorry, uh, no, let me try that again. 2018 marked something of a turning port point for ransomware groups because they started to pursue a strategy that I alluded to earlier called big game hunting, where instead of going to Joel Com and saying, all right, Joel, we're going to encrypt, uh, either you pay us $1,000 or we're going to send your wife your the search history on your computer, right? Instead of doing something like that, they're more likely to go after PricewaterhouseCooper and try to get, you know, $10 million or $20 million rather than trying to build it up a little over, a time, over time. And... If you're going to go after bigger game, there, there must be a concomitant increase in the seriousness with which you treat your work. So you can hunt a rabbit with a bow and arrow, but you better not hunt a bear with, with a bow and arrow. If you're going to go after something bigger and more dangerous, you got to get more serious about that. And so that has heralded what's now called uh, the professionalization of ransomware. And it's sometimes called the rise of ransom ops or ransomware as a service. And Ransomware as a service is an obvious analogy to something like software as a service or platform as a service. And, and for anybody who doesn't know, not Travis, obviously, but for anybody who doesn't know, software as a service occurs when you code up an application and you make that software available to people who don't want to build it themselves and they just want to pay a subscription fee or a one-time licensing fee in order to use your software and you can store the data on your servers or what have you. Ransomware as a service marks a really staggering increase in the professionalization of, of these operations because really, really in two ways. First of all, the operations themselves are much more, are structured much more like businesses and they comport themselves like entrepreneurial enterprises that are actually trying to improve. So if you are an intelligent uh Eastern Europeaner who doesn't have much in the way of economic prospects, but you're good with computers, you can go on the dark net, pay $500 or $1,000 to get access to the newest Conti variant. You can buy a, a set of leads, which are people whose security systems have been compromised, but which have not been themselves targeted. And you can just start working down the line, working down the list and going after these groups or these businesses. And 
whenever you successfully extort money from them, whenever you get a ransom payment, you kick a fraction of that back up to the progenitor. So it's, it's just an affiliate model or a franchising model. You can operate ransomware in the same way that you might operate a Burger King franchise or a Starbucks franchise. And so we've started to see them operating more like companies. And there has also been a rise in ancillary services provided by a broader ransomware ecosystem. So in the same way that there are companies who specialize in managing Microsoft licenses for small to medium enterprises or handle cloud computing services for businesses that are too small to have a budget for cloud engineers. You see the same sort of phenomenon in this dark economy around ransomware. You've got groups that specialize in help, helping people set up ransomware infrastructure or doing secure hosting of email off, uh, off the main servers so that it's harder for an FBI spook to hack in and figure out what you're doing. So these two things mark a, a really a sea change in how people have approached ransomware, both in terms of the way the businesses operate and also the emergence of a broader economy around them that support them. So it's almost like they're em, em, emblazing and empowering these uh, these ransomware guys in, in a lot of ways. And because it, right now, I just saw from, uh, from earlier on in the year, the, the Conti group had said that they were backing Moscow versus Ukraine. And anyone that organizes against them is going to get all their yep. resources to strike back at their critical infrastructure. It's like, it seems to me that World War III is this economic sort of cyber warfare, right? Cyber infrastructure warfare plus economic warfare. It seems like that we're in, in, in the midst of like a global war, but it's just unspoken. There's something new happening here. The Russian invasion of Ukraine is already being called the first crypto war because on the one hand, you've got the possibility of these Russian oligarchs laundering money out through cryptocurrencies. For various reasons, we suspect that's not actually happening that much, but people have kind of seized on that as a possibility and I'm sure it's happening some and it will probably happen mm -hmm. more in future conflicts. And also because the Ukrainian government has received hundreds of millions of dollars in donations of ETH and Bitcoin and I think Polka as well through addresses that they publicly own, which yeah. to my- Actually, opinion, that's the only way to get, you know, I have friends in Ukraine and Russia, the only way to get money to them is, is through crypto. Like absolutely. what they're doing is they're using Binance as a wallet and then it, offboarding from there into, into fiat, into their ruble. Uh, that's what Russians are doing. And you, you, well, you can still have, you can still send Ukraine through like, you know, various different money transfer platforms, but the, you know, it made it precarious when they shut off all of Russia's, you know, uh, system to the financial global financial system. Right. The only thing available besides that was crypto. So it's like, hello, of course they're going to use crypto. Absolutely. So you see people, you have these heartwarming stories of people escaping the war zone with 12 words in their heads that allow them to tap into most of their net worth. And, and they wind up not actually losing as much in the war as they otherwise would have. And I think that while crypto's, the, the role that crypto has played in the Russia-Ukraine conflict is probably a little exaggerated, I do think it harkens a new sort of dynamic to warfare going forward. And, and picking up on your comment about Conti, I think that this is really the high watermark for the boldness of these groups in going after their enemies. It, it's the first time to my knowledge, a cyber crime group has said, if you target Russia with sanctions, if there's any reprisals, we will come after you. And they spoke on behalf of a, of a sovereign power as sort of their cyber muscle. And I, I don't know that that's ever happened before. Not to my knowledge, maybe there's a North Korean group that's done something like that, but this is one of the first credible threats. And we see, again, as far as I know, for the first time, 
a truly global geopolitical dimension to ransomware activities. So in 1989, it was Joseph Pop taking $190 from people. Now it's ransomware groups saying, we are Russia's muscle and we'll come after you or attacking Costa Rica and trying to overthrow the local government. I think that we've only begun to see how ransomware will play out geopolitically. And I, I think that as software eats the world, it becomes a more attractive attack vector and it becomes a more attractive theater of war. And you're probably gonna start seeing more of that and crypto will play a role in that. As a uh, as a futurist and looking at topics like quantum computing and such, what happens next? Like, what is the next evolution of cyber crime after ransomware? Absolutely. So I, I think that there is a kind of arms race dynamic at play. So in the same way that you have hostile foreign powers who are in this tit for tat developing defense systems and weapons that can penetrate those defense systems and on and on. And just as you have the same thing biologically, where organisms will evolve responses to parasites who will evolve responses to those responses and on and on, I think you're going to see the same thing in ransomware. Looking back, looking, zooming out a little bit and looking at the broader culture, you can see that people have become more aware of how social media and technology have improved their lives, but also made them more vulnerable in certain ways. And it, you see this broader reticence to post pictures of your kids on Twitter, for example, or to just give away data to Facebook because you hear stories like the Cambridge Analytica scandal, or you hear stories about people who are murdered by their stalkers because they were checking in and making their, their location publicly available. My hope is that this will coalesce into a broader, uh, in, into more seriousness about cybersecurity, where, where people take password management more seriously, companies take their own security more seriously, and that will make it harder for ransomware groups to attack them. I suspect that that will take a while to manifest. And so for the time being, ransomware groups are going to be pulling in record amounts of money for some time. The hope is that eventually we, we can obviate the advantages they have with better security measures. I, I mentioned earlier some of the things that I think will happen in cryptocurrency, and I'll just briefly adumbrate them here again. I think that these groups are going to continue to become more sophisticated with respect to how they handle Bitcoin transactions, that they're going to get better and better at hiding what they're doing. I suspect, although I, I wouldn't say it's a hard prediction, it's more of a soft prediction, that they will begin to use alternative cryptocurrencies that have stronger privacy guarantees built in. And I really worry if we don't take cybersecurity seriously and we don't solve some of these outstanding problems, that the scale at which these groups are operating will only become bigger and the stakes will only, only get greater. So there was famously an attack on an Iranian nuclear facility. I forget exactly when this was. I think it was 2010, mm -hmm. around there. It was before the I was USB. They just put a, they, somebody infected a USB drive, right? I believe that's how it happened. And, and they were able to spin up the change the rate at which the things were spinning and cause it to melt down. It, it wound up not being just a, a huge disaster, but it kind of was an, an opening shot as to how big these sorts of things could be. So, you know, what would it be like if Conti were able to take down a bunch of satellites and, and kick an entire country off the internet, or if they were able to take some structure in low earth orbit and push it out of low earth orbit. Or, or And that's the know. thing like that, that Iran nuclear plant, nuclear plant that was offline. It wasn't, there was no internet connected to that thing at all. And just by placing a USB that was infected into it, took over the whole system. Right. Right. And I, I think, I think you're going to see more of that. Unfortunately, I think it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And the ways you defend yourself are pretty much the ways you defend yourself against cybersecurity more generally. I mean, back your files up, use a good password manager, 
shield your activity online, you know, uh, self-custody your crypto in a cold wallet. The question is just, is are, are the stakes going to be high enough for the average person to do that? And I don't know that, that they will be, but hopefully we can start building better security guarantees into operating systems, into the browsers we use, that there are alternatives to, to Chrome that, that have that, that score better on those dimensions. And so Chrome sucks. Just- Google sucks. Like <laughs> screw, screw everything Google does. I'm trying very hard to, uh, to get out of their hole. Now that Proton has um, calendar, mail, and um, docs, a drive, you can actually port your stuff over. I've done it. I just haven't turned off Google yet. You know, there's it's 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 because it's a big move to yep. to make. You know, once you shut down, because so many other people still use it, so it's a lot more gradual than than I'd like it to be. What do, which browsers do you like? I'm on Chrome right now. I, I, <laughs> I, I've, I've heard good things about Brave. I've heard good things uh, about- a, a Wait, you've only heard good things about Brave? You haven't actually tried Brave? I think I have tried Brave. I didn't make the switch over. I, I did like it. It's, yeah, it's, I, great. It's, it's great and it's an easy switch and that's what I use. I don't use Chrome except when absolutely necessary- um, I keep a, a side install, but don't have it as a default because there's just a few things that don't work on Brave. It's rare, but right. um, it does happen. And it's it's your it's your security choice. Oh, Bra- well, Brave's just better because it's not Google, right? Okay. And they're they're not tracking me unless I give permission to show ads. I got you. I got you. you. Know, I'm actually using one uh, called uh, it's Avast. You know the uh, the the cybersecurity company. They have their own secure browser based on chromium and so it's pretty much exactly chrome but it locks down a lot of the the stuff that we're google's tracking allegedly because you don't really know but it's like you know i was always 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 originally before i worked in the security space i my my uncle and i had a conversation about you know they're probably they probably got this 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 back room where they're creating all these viruses so they can sell us and, you know, antivirus software like that was one of the original conspiracies back in the day. And I think in the early nascent stages of malware, it seemed like, you know, or just, you know, viruses in general, on it seemed like that was the case. Now there are some very malicious groups of people out there trying to do as much economic damage as possible. So what can we really do to protect ourselves, Trent? I mean, what's the you know, is MetaMask secure? Is, you know, like, I, I mean, it's one of those things that almost seems like, man, eventually MetaMask is going to get knocked on, it seems like, because everything else is going out. You know, they're trying to go after it. So it's like, yeah. what do we need to do to keep safe? Well, the good news is with the rise of the strategy that I discussed earlier, big game hunting, it's, it's become less and less likely that you will have anything to fear from this. Unless they think you're a big crypto whale, which I'm not, because I always end up selling low and buying high. And I, I lost all mine in, in a tragic boating accident, so I'm not a whale either. Don't don't bother. Yeah, it sucks. I, I'll mind, yeah, I don't know where the seed phrase is. It fell in the boat. These, this these episode of the Bad Commiserating <laughs> podcast brought to you by Travis Wright and Trent Fowler. Yeah. You know, it was yeah, in my car is... that blew up. You know, all my crypto was in my car that blew up. And uh, so didn't have the keys either. It sucks. 
the, the string of, of mysterious accidents is really troubling. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that generally you're going to need to invest in learning more about cybersecurity using alternative browsers like Brave or the one that Avast has put together that have been alluded to in this conversation, taking greater care of your your crypto custodianship and storing all that in a cold wallet. You protect having, your ass ets? Yes, protect your ass ets uh, yeah. coldly with, with cold storage. Uh, and then try to lose it in a boating accident if, if you can arrange that. But yeah, I, I would say, you know, pr pretty much the litany of standard cybersecurity recommendations is a great place to start. So using browsers that are more secure, operating systems that are more secure, changing your passwords, using a strong password manager, like I've used LastPass. I've heard uh, what's one pass is, is that, that what that one's called? I've yeah. heard really good things about that. And actually this is something I've been thinking a lot more about here recently. So I'm, I've been kind of a degenerate crypto or I've got, you know, most of my crypto on an exchange. I, I'm going to move all that off, look into password managers, try, try to up my security a little bit because in researching this, I've become more worried about it. Like I said, the good news is it, it's, it's kind of like being shot. It's just, it's a, it's hard to defend against, but any, randomly chosen person is unlikely to be the target of, of, of such an attack. So just by virtue of there being lots of other people and lots of other potential targets, many of them bigger than you, you don't have that much to worry about. But if, if you really want to get into it, I would, I would investigate cybersecurity and start taking that a lot more seriously because most of those recommendations will also protect you from ransomware. All righty. Well, this has been very instructive, Mr. Fowler. How do people find out more about you, what you're up to, and updates in the ransomware space? Absolutely. So you can check out the Futurati podcast. Thomas Fry and I put together uh, an episode every week talking about AI or quantum computing or crypto or, or what have you. Uh, at futuratipodcast.com, you can also find a contact page and there, there's an about page with a bunch of information on me if you want to investigate me in particular. And you can find me on Twitter at Trent underscore Stempunk, S-T-E-M-P-U-N-K. So any of those would be great ways to get in touch with me. Have you sent your 10 Bitcoin yet to the address on record? Um, I have not because I seem to have misplaced my keys. <laughs> you lost your Bitcoin in a dump somewhere. I, it, fell, it fell in the tragic boat accident that I oh, had. And then when I got saved from the boat, my car exploded. And so it was either sunken or exploded. I don't know which one happened. Oh my gosh. And you put your keys, like you tattooed them on your neck, but then, you know, the flames licked the yeah. keys right off your neck. And yeah. so, uh, you know, speaking of getting on stage and being funny and all that, you and I had the opportunity to speak at Radio City Music Hall, the Radio City Music Hall in New York City for NFT NYC. And uh, we're going to be doing a special episode that is a recap of nft nyc on the nifty show so if you're not subscribing to that podcast yet then go over there hit the subscribe the follow button on whatever platform you're on it's just called the nifty show and uh, we would love to have you listening that way you get more of us and you get the bonus of my son zach on episodes as well yep yep um i think that uh, that was one of the most you know Going on stage with you, dude, at Radio City Music Hall, that was like, that was one of those sweet life moments, man, right after Spike Lee mm -hmm. and going up there and cracking jokes. And, you know, somebody gave a great compliment to us. It's like, you know, Spike Lee got off stage, but the audience kept getting bigger. So it's like we, you know, so we had more people in our session than Spike Lee had. I think that has to do with the ridiculous 
in this of trying to get people in, they were like, oh, I got to see your ID and your and your QR code and your badge and a sperm sample. And then they finally let him in. And uh, but that was amazing. I really enjoyed rocking the stage up there with you, Sir Lord Comp. So make sure you subscribe to the Nifty Show. We're going to do a whole episode talking about the NFT NYC experience we just had. And we will catch you here on this very channel for the next episode of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Until then, you guys know what to do. I don't even need to tell you, but we always end the show this way. So I've got to say, stay back. Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of bitcoins and and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.